Chapter 4 Obedience and Piety The harbor at the garden was hot. Only the faintest lick of wind crossed the half-moon of the bay, and the air merely swirled in hot currents. Captain Wren had his men push Seahound away from the dock the second Kyla's foot touched the thick wooden planks. She didn't glance back. She had made no friends on the voyage. Quinn's chests and a pile of strapped-together pieces of her bed from home lay on the dock where the sailors and a few slow-poke dock workers had dumped it all. A trio of Tills boys were working their way down the dock to meet them. Not unexpected, as the three schools surely would want to guide new arrivals to their schools. Remember, Quinn said to Kyla, you're my cousin from the country. Where's Nax? In my backpack. Nax hadn't been keen on getting into the leather satchel, but Kyla had warned her that the people of Docktown might not welcome a cat. Quinn gave a gold skillet to a stevedore and instructed him to arrange to have her things delivered to Ori's home. That won't be necessary, the lead Tills boy said. He was a dunce master. His robes were thinner than those worn in Starside, but appropriate for this climate. They were the same drab brown, though, cinched by a belt of golden cord with tassels that dangled to the knees. The man was tall, of salt and pepper hair and deeply tanned face. His aquiline nose and bright blue eyes gave him a hawkish look. Kyla felt like prey beneath his gaze. He was flanked by two acolytes, both gowned in white. Sweat gleamed on their brows. Both were in their twenties and had hair bleached a filthy blonde by long exposure to the sun. I am Seeker Yen, a master of Till's Tower. You must accompany me to Till's Tower, young ladies. Ori's home is no place for respectable daughters of good houses. Kyla couldn't keep her nostrils from flaring, but she managed a smile. Why would you think we're of good houses? She always fell into cheap's speak when irritated. Three months aboard Seahound and Quinn hadn't been able to completely break her of that habit. Surely not by your manner of dress nor your tone. But who comes to Garden Island but doesn't seek to enter the schools? And since when do Till's boys take in young women, Carla said. We do not take acolytes of your sex. But since neither of you are clothed as novitiates, I assume you come under the rules of princes, under which the great houses send their young to prepare for their future stations of power. We are not princes, Quinn said. Her tone was so low and threatening that Kyla turned to see if Quinn had recognized the man. But no, this was just how Quinn was these days, quick to anger, hand on the hilt of her shadline blade, black. At least she hadn't drawn it. On board Seahound, she had taken to carrying it openly when on the main deck and giving sailors narrow-eyed glances while she worked the weapon through her growing repertoire of flourishes and tosses. The seeker studied Quinn, eyes drifting from her face to the emerald pendant at her throat. Finally, he said, "'Rules of princes is a phrase from a time long past, a better time when women were not expected to read and dabble in politics.' He continued to move closer as he spoke. His shoulders were hunched forward because he kept his hands clasped before him, hidden in the sleeves of his robes. The acolytes moved out from him, blocking the way should Kyla and Quinn attempt to slip past. The man's eyes were aimed at Quinn, 
flitting from her weapon to her bosom to her face. His lips parted slightly, and his eyes abruptly rolled up into his skull. Ah, there is no spark in you, nor your companion. His eyes rolled down, and he lifted the corner of his mouth. Please, come with me. My acolytes will see that your things get to the tower. Kyla was grateful she'd resumed her murkus mask that morning. Had he felt her during their approach? The thought made her queasy. We aren't going anywhere with you, Kyla said. We're here for Ori's home, and that's where we're a-going. The Donesmaster unclasped his hands to stay his acolytes, who were on the verge of leaping at the young women. For a generation, not one family sent a son or daughter to Ori's home under the rules of princes. And now arrive four within three months? That's curious. In the past three years, a hundred have sent their sons to Till's Tower. You see, don't you, that it is only proper that you come to the school most prepared to guide you? You need not be concerned about being girls. You ladies will have fine, secluded accommodations and will be trained in the virtues of obedience and piety as becomes your station and duty. At Ori's home you will surely be corrupt, that is, if they accept you at all. There are strange things happening there, strange and concerning. Kyla desperately wanted to drop her Mercus mask and see what this man was up to. She just knew he was probing at them with his own power, perhaps using scent and sound to charm them. But she and Quinn were much too strong-willed to succumb to such tricks easily. Acolytes, please assist these ladies. The young men stepped forward. Both were strong and tall, but unarmed. Quinn slipped her blade free and crouched. In doing so, she went utterly silent, thanks to Black's powers. Kyla did not draw her blade, but her mind balanced on the edge of dropping her mask. There's no need for violence, the seeker said, waving his boys back. I see you will not be persuaded by reason, typical of your sex. Proceed to Ori's home. I will return to Till's Tower and speak with the highest. He will issue a demand to the voluptuary to turn you over to us. You will see. It will be for your own good. He withdrew, taking his acolytes with him. Quinn watched until they disappeared into the small crowd waiting at the end of the dock. She returned black to its sheath. Idiots. Our ship was in view of the docks for long enough for those morons to get here, Kyla said. Why aren't there any sensuals or spinsters here to greet us? Quinn had no answer. She whistled for the dockmen to get her things loaded onto a wagon. A tired mare in harness munched on a handful of grain held in a cartman's hand. He was a lump of a man in a broad-brimmed hat. Quinn glared at him. Another gold when all arrives safely, and I'll know if a chest has been opened. Mercusine wards. She flashed dangerous eyebrows. The man nodded and knuckled his brow. The young women strode down the dock, shoes clunking hollowly on the planks. Kyla was still getting used to hers. Hard-soled things, slender with a silver buckle on the top. Not proper ladies' shoes, but sturdy. Quinn had brought some clothes from her younger years for Kyla. She claimed she'd worn Kyla's shoes when she was fourteen. Like the sailors, Kyla had spent most of her time aboard Seahound, barefoot, 
but Quinn had insisted she put on the torture devices to make herself minimally presentable to the voluptuary of Ori's home. Docktown stretched along the shore of the small harbor, a lovely and sunny collection of small homes. The shops and warehouses near the docks were all pasted over with a textured coating and painted a light yellow, the roof's white tile. The town had been built amidst a great rambling garden. Every terrace and front stoop was host to potted greenery. Hedges of great red and pink blossoms lined the road from the dock. Towering trees, bearded with green moss, shaded small front yards of the greater houses. Sleepy-eyed men sat in the doorways of their shops, in the shade of canopies or arched galleries that fronted the buildings. They came alert as the women passed, then hastily looked away from them. There were few people about, likely due to the overwhelming power of the midday sun. Those who Kyla saw were dusky, plump, and aloof. A different sort of life here, huh? Kyla said. She was eyeing a man sleeping in a chair in front of his fruit cart. The strange orbs inside were yellow and lined with faint stripes, and each was double the size of his head. In Starside, he'd be robbed to the last seed before he woke up. Not many people live here, Gwyn said, and there's no winter to speak of, just a rainy season. They only have to contend with fell storms. Those fruits grow everywhere, I suppose. If food isn't scarce, no need to steal it. There were lemons and oranges on trees along the streets. Anyone could pick one. Kyla was tempted to do so, for in Starside such fruit arrived well past best ripeness. Some folk were not asleep, and they watched the women pass with open suspicion. Mothers called their children inside when Kyla and Quinn came near. Worried faces peered from doorways. They don't trust us, Quinn said. You'd think they'd be trying to sell us their wares or ask us news from abroad. Skin prickling, Kyla looked back. Trailing them by a hundred paces was one of the acolytes. I suspect he's the problem. I have no doubt Till's Tower frightens these folks. It would me. I'm too hot. I need to get out, Nack sent. Along with the words came a skin-prickling sensation and the feeling of not being able to breathe. Kyla took Quinn's wrist and led her down a narrow alley. Nax needs to get out for a few minutes. Here? That's not a good idea. How about you dress all in fur and ride inside an airless leather bag for an hour? Quinn relented. They wound through a few alleys until they found a shady park behind a stand of apartment houses. No one was around, so Kyla let Nax out. The cat stretched and tested the air. It's full of wet. Nax's drowsiness came to her as a strong suggestion that they all lie down and nap. There was no time for that. The acolyte would be upon them soon. This place feels like Cheapskate, Kyla said. It's nothing like Cheapskate, Quinn said. She breathed in through her nose. It smells nice, and everyone is well fed. That's not what I meant. It's the mood. I was a thief, so I understood why the watch was after me. But everyone in Cheapskate feared going into the city. The watch could arrest someone just because they didn't like the looks of them. This whole town feels like they're trying to avoid drawing the wrong sort of attention. The watch cannot arrest someone without good cause, Quinn said. Your view is tainted because of your own fear of being caught stealing. Weren't you nearly killed by a man of the watch for keeping Henley from being dragged off? That was different. That Don'tsmaster was ordering the watchman to bring him in for the Hargath. 
she trailed off, realizing she had just proved Kyla's point. Is it truly that frightening for cheapskaters? Not for me, but it is for most. A man of the watch can take someone to the West Bunk for going barefoot in Grissonside, or for talking to a merchant in the wrong tone. They might be released in a day or ten, but they always return to Cheapskate quiet and looking like they'd seen a scream clown. As Kyla spoke, Quinn's face brewed up a storm, eyebrows scrunching, lips compressing. She had her blade in her hand. Her lips moved, spitting out a long string of words that Kyla could not hear for the silencing power of the blade. Nax eyed the angry woman with disinterest. Kyla was somewhat amused by Quinn's rage at starside injustice, as outsized for the moment as her display was. The black-haired woman was extraordinarily quick to temper these days. A flash of white caught Kyla's attention. The acolyte had appeared. Nax in the sack. She sent enough urgency with the command that the cat was moving before she realized what she was doing. The backpack lay open on the ground, and it soon bulged and wobbled as Nax hid inside. I can't hear a word you're saying, Kyla said as she gripped Quinn's wrist. She shoved the woman's hand up so that Quinn could see she held the blade. Quinn's tirade faltered, then she sheepishly returned the blade to her sheath. Kyla nodded behind Quinn. Our Tills boy is here. Quinn reached for her hilt. Kyla stayed her hand. Calm yourself. He can't do anything to us but look. The acolyte stopped at the edge of the park, positioning himself in the shade of a moss-bearded tree. He watched them openly, face passive. Ali is here, Nax sent. Kyla turned to look at the backpack. What? How? The last time Kyla had seen Wen's ornery cat had been in the arms of the Domain Flaumishdak and happily so, having volunteered to go with the beast. He's too far away to talk to, but he's here. Huff, too. Huff is worried. Kyla had known that Henley and Rajan were coming to the garden, so Huff's presence was no surprise. She looked forward to seeing all of them, but if Ollie was there, Flamishdak might be too. What is he worried about? But it was pointless to ask. If Nax couldn't speak with the other cats, she wouldn't be able to find the answer. Kyla hefted the backpack onto her shoulders. It didn't contain much aside from the small hand mirror her enlightened majesty had given her, a banknote from Same, and her father's lockpicking kit. And a cat. She told Quinn about Ollie and Huff. This place is strange, Quinn said. You're right. Something is off. You think? Let's get to Ori's home and see what's going on.